You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. It's great to be back from uh, Haiti. We had a great time. You're going to actually hear about the team here in a moment. We are in the middle of a series called uh, Top Secret. We're kind of looking at some of the uh, secret things in our lives that uh, need to be exposed. Our theme verse is uh, Proverbs 28, 13 that says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So far, we've looked at the uh, the top secret things in our life that maybe people don't know about us. Uh, the first week, we looked at dishonesty, how a lot of us are, are not really honest with others, and we're not honest with ourselves about what's going on in our life and about the things that we do. Uh, and then there's uh, we talked about the, uh, the top secret issue that, that most of us here feel very insecure. And we feel very inadequate. Last year, Sean uh, brought it home with, with the very big challenge, the, the top secret info that a lot of us in this room uh, were lazy. And we looked at the challenge of personal discipleship. And then this week, I want to talk about something uh, that is in most of our lives. And it's about the more monster that just wants to eat, eat, and eat. Today, I want to talk about the top secret issue that a lot of us, if we were to be honest, deal with, and that is materialism. So uh, Proverbs 27.20 says this, death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. There's this sense that, you know, it compares uh, death and destruction and calamity and trial and, and just uh, a path that leads to, to death, to this constant desire for more and more and more and more. This Everything that we see and what we feel, we have to have. Time Magazine said that the average American spends $1,300 for every $1,000 they make. Now, you don't have to be really good at math that the average person spends over $300 uh, more than what they have every single uh, month. And the problem is our desire is catching up with this. The problem is, is, it, is, it, it is fi- we're finding out that we can't keep up with our materialistic uh, appetites. You know, it's been uh, said, uh, you know, when, when, when your output exceeds your input, that's a problem. Uh, bodybuilders, they call that overwork. Electricians, they call it overload. Bankers, they call it overdraft. Politicians, they call it what problem? So what is it that motivates us for more, to have more? What is it that we're looking for? What are we trying to accomplish? I want to give you real quick four lies of materialism. You can write these down. We're going to hit these really fast because I can't wait to share with you something exciting about about uh, how you can break this off of your life, uh, one of the ways. Um, so the lies of materialism, number one, is that having more will make me happy. Some of us, we think that uh, the ads, they would never lie to us. The people who sell those cars and those houses, the people that sell that toy, that product, that TV, man, they, they would never lie to us. Those phone people, Apple would never lie to me. I know if I get that, I'll be happy. See, that's a lie. Now, if you're talking about temporary happiness, yes. Yes, it will give you 
temporary happiness. Things can do that. But when we get it and we use it or we get bored with it, then you need another one or a different one or a new one and more and more and more because things, materialistic possessions, they won't make you happy. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money, and I'll add, and stuff, because this is all about material possessions. Whoever loves money and stuff never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And Solomon had it right on with that verse. Here's another lie of materialism is number two is that having more will somehow make me feel more important. Some people, you, know, you guys remember the, you know, those of us that are over, you know, if you're over 30, you probably have heard of uh, the, the TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You guys, raise your hand if you've ever seen that show. You watch that show, and or or if you're if you're 20 and older, then you might uh, remember MTV Cribs, right? <laughs> and and then HGTV used to do these like million dollar, you know, billion dollar homes where they would have these like multi billion dollar swimming pools. And uh, they would say, well, this, the floor on this house alone costs $7, billion, or $7 million, and it was shipped in overseas on a freight carrier. Um, you know, somehow we watch those shows and we think, you know, those guys are important. Those people are important. And, and if I could just have what they have, then, then maybe MTV Cribs will come to my house. The fact is, we often buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Having more things does not make me more important, but it does make me more empty and more broke. It's what Luke twelve fifteen says. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's the more monster. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. See, a lot of times we think if I just had X, Y, Z, if I just had this, you know, and this isn't about age. Young people do the exact same thing. If I just had, I remember when I was a teen, I, there were certain shoes that I had to have, right, that are now sold at Target. And I'm like, what? It was like, you know, it used to be, uh, when I grew up, Massimo was like a big brand. It was like an expense. Now you can get it at Walmart. And I'm like, boy, times have changed. But it used to be the brands. It used to be that kind of shirt. You know, I wore acid wash jeans and parachute pants. And I wore tons of cargo pants. I never had the MC Hammer pants. I, but they're coming back because I've seen some of you guys with your drawers down here. And, and I used to think if I just had that outfit, those clothes, I had, I had my Vans, you know, and, and I, had, I looked like I wanted to be somebody. And all I found out is that it never made me anybody. Because having more will not make me feel important. Notice that it says, watch out. Be on your guard. That means when you're buying stuff, check yourself at the register before you get to the register. Watch out. Am I buying this because I'm trying to achieve, attain, or be somebody? Am I buying this? Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Here's the third lie about materialism is that having more will make me feel secure. 
Some people think if I, if I just have more, then, then I'll be ready in case, in case problems come and I'll feel safe. The fact is the more you have, often the more insecure you become because you end up worrying about more. Proverbs 18.11 says, The rich think their wealth is as a strong... Uh, they, the rich think their wealth... Think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. That means the, the, the rich like to think that somehow that their wealth and accumulation will protect them from the enemy. But that verse is saying how ridiculous it is to think that your possessions will somehow keep you secure. See, all of these things are actually signs of a problem, a greater problem, and that is an issue with God. Job, you might know this guy. He's the story of a guy who had everything, who lost everything. And in the midst of losing everything, he never stopped giving up praise to God and and trusting in the Lord that he was going to take care of him. This is what he says in Job 31, verse 24, 25, and 28. It says, have I put my trust in money? Or felt secure because of my gold? Have I gloated about my wealth and all that I own? And then he says in verse 28, he says, If so, I should be punished, for it would mean I had denied the God of heaven. You see, if you're looking for possessions and things and wealth and that portfolio and that bank account to somehow bring you security, you're missing out on who God has called you to be because you're putting your trust in things of this world rather than things that are of eternal value. Here's the fourth lie about materialism, that having more somehow means that God is blessing me. Some of you think, well, I have stuff, so that means God is blessing me. If that's the case, then then God loves Donald Trump a lot. (laughs) He does love Donald Trump. He loves everybody. But you can't look at somebody wealthy and go, you know what, God's hand's on him. That is not the case. Money and possessions have no connection to a person's spiritual walk. None whatsoever. There are wealthy, incredibly wealthy, corrupt people and extremely poor, godly people who walk with God and vice versa. There are wealthy people who are godly walking with God and poor who are not walking with God. It's by, see, money, your possessions, the size of your house, how your car is, whether the AC works or not, is not a determination on whether God is on your side or not. This is a lie of materialism. Let's take a look at a passage that addresses all these things, then we're going to look at the antidote of materialism. Let's take a look at this passage in 1 Timothy 6, 6, uh, beginning with verse 6, rather, it says uh, this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking to a young pastor named Timothy, who at the time was the pastor at the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. He says, Timothy, he says, now godliness with contentment is great wealth. We're going to come back to that. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You see, contentment is not measured by what's in our car or what's in our account or what's in our closet. It comes from what's inside our heart. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But people who long to be rich... Now, I just got to say this, uh, that this desire to be rich, that's the desire to acquire that's gone haywire, thinking that more stuff, the more stuff we acquire, that somehow these lies that we believe that they'll somehow make us happy, important, secure, or make us feel like God likes us. 
You ever known somebody who's constantly chasing money? Like those old comedy videos where they have a string tied onto a dollar and people are running all over and it's a secret camera. We're laughing. It's like Paul is just saying, he says, it's fun to watch those guys chasing money. Don't they look dumb? It's like Paul is saying, don't be like those who chase money. You just look silly. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation that desire to acquire, those that are consumed with more and more and more and more, those who long to have stuff fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That word plunge means to drown. Material possessions make horrible flotation devices. The stuff we want will ultimately sink us. They will take us under if we are obsessed with having more. Now, I want to clarify this, and Paul's going to clarify this as well, that Jesus nor the writers of the Scripture are anti-ownership of things, and they're not anti-money either. See, God set possessions and money up for us to manage. It's when the desire to acquire goes high wire, and the more and more monster wants more and more. See, he continues, Paul does, in verse 9, he says, for the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. Possessions are neutral. They are to be used, not loved. God says, use it for his glory. If you love money, you'll use people. But if you love people, you'll use money. And the apostle Paul is saying the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil that he says will plunge you into ruin. It's like the man who said, oh, Ted, I hear you. Man, I agree with you 100%. That's not me. I don't love money. Some of you say, I I don't love money. Well, you might say, if money were a woman, I wouldn't say we're in love. We're just definitely dating. Some of you guys, you're heavy dating your money. You're not quite in love yet, but you're awfully close because you put a lot of care and concern First Timothy verse six, uh, chapter six, verse ten. He says, "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have even wandered from the faith." That's how deceptive money is. That's how deceptive materialism and possessions are. They can drag you away, and they pierce themselves with many sorrows. You know the you know the song, the OJ uh, song, "Money, money, money, money." You know we all like to like, you know, start. Money, 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 money. If you listen to the words to that song, it's actually an anti-money song. It's all about the destructiveness of money. Here's one of the lines. It says, for the love of money, people will laugh. They will cheat. For the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body. For the love of money, people will do anything. That's some of the lines in that song. It's actually an anti-materialism song. Paul continues in verse 11. He says, flee from all of this. All that you're upset, obsessions with more and more and more. He says, flee from it and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of my witnesses. Uh, now, of his witnesses. Now, when I want you to hear this. I'm going to give you real quick four 
antidotes for materialism found in uh, this first timothy chapter six here's the first one four things mentioned the first one is this is we need to live grateful live grateful thankfulness will set you free romans 121 and hebrews 12 15 says that Thanklessness leads to complaining, grumbling, and self-seeking desires. James 1.17, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He says, if it's good, be thankful because it's from God. If there's anything at all good in this life, in this world, whether it be the sunset, skiing across the lake, laying out on the beach, a warm hug, from your children, a kiss from the one you love, or a hot cup of coffee, or relaxing on a Sunday afternoon. If there's anything good, he says, that's from the Lord. Gratefulness and thankfulness acknowledges the giver of good things. See, when I say live grateful, I'm not talking about just, oh, I'm grateful that's not me. I'm grateful that didn't happen. I'm grateful, you know, you know, I'm grateful I tried really hard and I acquired all these things. You know, I'm grateful for the hard work and the things I have. No, grateful means you acknowledge the one who gave those to you, the one who allowed you to have those things. If there's anything good that you have, be thankful. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about the nice uh, about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind, and it's a cool verse. Misplaced worship. We often worship stuff, so we want more stuff. Here's a very simple verse that will change your life. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the second antidote. Not only do we live grateful, but number two, we live content. We live content. Contentment is the fruit of gratitude. When you learn to be grateful, you are given a response in your spirit, and that is contentment. Let me explain this. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great wealth. You know what that means? Is that you want to be rich? You truly want to be wealthy? Then learn how to be contentment. Because godliness, walking in Christ, and contentment is true wealth. That is true wealth. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Very simple verse. Does that mean that we never save money or that we never try to have anything? Uh, No, that's not what it means. What does biblical contentment mean? This is simply what it means. Contentment equals Jesus is enough. That's simple. Contentment means that Jesus is enough. Contentment means I can cope with it even when I'm not loving it. It means if you only have a roof and a little food in the bigger scheme of eternity, that's fine. Paul understood this living on the run and from prison uh, for years. How? Because he saw the bigger picture. This is what he says in a letter to the church in Philippi in Philippians 4.11 starts. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's talking to them about how what a blessing it is for, for people who are generous. And, and uh, he says, I'm not saying this because I want you to give me anything. He says, because I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content. How many guys would like to know the secret of being content? He says, I've learned the secret. 
By the way, contentment is something you got to learn. Okay? He says, I've learned the secret of being content in every in any and every situation, whether I am well fed or whether I'm hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. He says this. This is the secret. Are you ready? It's one of the most misused verses in the whole Bible. Here's the secret to contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, this verse isn't what you think. It does not mean that through Jesus you can skydive. It doesn't mean that through Jesus you can win that game. It doesn't mean that through Jesus you can get that job or that you can handle this or tackle that. This is about contentment. It means that if you're flat broke, Jesus is enough. It means that if you don't have any food with Jesus, I can endure anything. Contentment is learning to live in his will in your current circumstance. It's saying, I am content because Jesus has this. Contentment is not about everything being great in your life. It's about knowing everything is great with you in God. God, teach me how to be satisfied with what I have rather than always wanting something else. Here's the third antidote for materialism, and that is live generous. Live generous. This breaks the hold of materialism off of your life. See, gratitude sets you free. Contentment is the fruit of gratitude. And this third one breaks materialism off. See, true living comes from giving. This is what he says as we continue in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, the reality is, look at your neighbor and say, you're rich. You say, I'm not rich. I don't have a house in Highland Park. I, I'm not living in, in North Dallas. I, I, I don't have a gated community. Maybe you do. But I want you to realize this. In view of the world, we are the wealthiest people alive on the planet in the United States. If you have a house, if you have a car, if you eat every day, if you have extra clothes, if you have more than one pair of shoes, if you're able to buy things that are not necessities, you are rich. A family of two making $15,500 a year, which is by U.S. standards, the poverty level, is still at the top of 18% of the world's richest people in the world. Here's the reality of our wealth. You, every person in this room, every young person in this room, You are rich. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 12. uh, He says, For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. So that's why Paul says to Timothy in verse 18, he says, Command them, the rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And no regret life is a generous life, focusing on what matters. And, and that's a whole message in itself on generosity. But some of you guys, you're, you know, you don't have to be rich to be greedy. Some of the most greedy people I've ever met are people who struggle financially. Because you don't trust God, 
You trust yourself and you just want more money so badly. You think that somehow if I just had $10,000, all my problems would be fixed. If I just had just a little bit more time, if I just had a little bit more here, if I was just able to pay, you somehow you've got your trust in the material possessions and money of this world. And you're so greedy that you can't even be generous. And you can't figure out why you're so worried about your material possessions and about not having things and paying things and you worry so much. It's because you're materialistic and you don't even realize it. You need to break it off by learning to be generous. And then he leads into that next one. He says, laying up a treasure for themselves for, the, for something that's truly life. And this is the last one. We need to live with eternity in mind. We need to live with eternity in mind. That means invest in eternity. And Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. See, this is, this is heaven's layaway plan. In 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Guys, listen, you've got to fight materialism. You've got to fight. This is in the context of fighting greed. This is in the context of fighting the love of material possessions and money. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold to the eternal life to which you were called. Not the temporary life, not the pleasures of this life alone. He says, but take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Guys, listen, our misplaced wealth is kind of like it's kind of like these tissues. We, uh, each one of these is one of our lives. And we take a tissue, and the tissues, it's, it's like eternity is a tissue-thin veil. To go from this life to go to the next life, we think if I could just, you know, we hold out this life and we want to load it up with, with stuff and money and possessions and accumulations and, and, a, and, a, and accounts and, and some sort of portfolio. And we just, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. If they don't have you, you are to uh, not love them, but you are to use them for the glory of God. But some of you, you're not using them for the glory of God. You're, you're bound in greed and materialism and you don't even realize it. But you think that accumulating it, but guys, listen, this life is a tissue-thin veil. We're just, we're one germ away. We are, we are one stray bullet away. We are one drunk driver away. We're one tragedy or storm away. We're one broken gene away. And we pass into eternity. And guess what we leave behind? With all that stuff, guess what stays behind everything? Except that which is sent ahead, which is lives. The investment of lives. The investment of eternal value. And that's exactly what some of us have learned this, this past week. Galatians 3, 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says, the one who hears the message but allows the cares of this world and is longing for wealth to choke out God's word becomes unfruitful. We have these excuses, but, but I can't be involved. I, I can't serve. I, I, I can't show up. I, I've got to work. I can't give. I've got to pay. Never confuse making a living with making a life. 
What you live for is much more important than what you live on. Understand what you're ultimately looking for in all that stuff is purpose and meaning. What you're ultimately looking for is the presence of Jesus. And there's not a single present that will ever bring the presence of God in your life. I'm going to ask uh, our Haiti team to be ready. We're going to watch our video first. And then I want you, those of you that are going to share, I want you to come up after this video. Uh, this past week, we actually had some people who sacrificed and worked hard and uh, gave up uh, their time and energy and efforts and invested into eternity. And uh, this is what it looked like. This is the short version of the video. The mission team, we're going to have a longer one, but this is, the, this is the church version. Here you go.
team come up. Uh, those of you that are going to share, come on up. Um, well, I get emotional just watching that. So um, here's what we're going to have you guys do. Those of you that are sharing, you're going to use this one over here. And uh, let's see how far it'll reach. Not very far, so let's not do that one. All right. All right. Guess what, Chris? All right. You guys step on up to the front here. I think this will reach. Um, okay, I'm going to set it up, and I'm going to let some of you guys uh, just kind of go down the line. Some of these guys, they got specific stories. There were 17 of us that went, and uh, we uh, we went to, uh, flew into Port-au-Prince, and then we drove to a place called Titayan where the main campus is, and we had an amazing blessing. We got to go up to the mountains. Very few people get to go to the mountains. And I remember last year, we'd sit on top of the roof and go, boy, it'd be great to someday be able to travel up into the mountains. And guess what we got to do this year? We got to take that very road we used to pray for. And um, it was about an hour into the mountains, and it was uh, like 
the cliffs at certain points, and it was heavy, it was dusty, and it was people that don't have a lot of access to, to health care. By the way, most of the island of Haiti, most of the half of Haiti, does not have electricity, so none of the places we went have electricity. There's going to be, um, here in just a minute, when they start sharing, there's going to be raw footage from the trip, so uh, you guys uh, try not to look at it. You're going to see an extended video of, you can look at it now, but you know. Yeah, but when you're sharing, make sure you, you, you face people, all right? Um, we went to a, a town called Turpin, which is up in the mountains. And um, let's have you guys start. So I'm going to start over here with them. Um, we just go down right, right down the road. So Laura, why don't you come up here and uh, tell us a little bit about your experience. Um, this was my second time to Haiti. Um, the first time was right after the earthquake um, that hit in 2010. And so for me, I had a little bit different experience to compare um, what it was like right after the earthquake and what it's like now. Um, and I was in a different area than when we went the first time. But just driving through Port-au-Prince, coming through the airport, uh, witnessing people uh, out on the streets, it just seemed like um, there's some healing going on in Haiti, which was really encouraging for me. Um, and I just had a lots and lots of different uh, little moments where God just showed up and um, just pulled me closer to him and, and uh, hopefully uh, shined through me to the people that I was with. So. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to come down here to, uh, to Daniel. Some of the things we did is uh, we, uh, we did what's called strategic village uh, time where we basically went door to door and we asked them demographic questions to evaluate their needs, like where they got water, how long has it been since they've been to the doctor or been to the dentist. Uh, we talked about their family, talked about their health care needs, and then we talked to them about spiritual things and we, we give them the plan of salvation. We invite them to know Christ if they don't know Christ already. Some of, several of the people on our team got to lead several to Christ, uh, and then if they are, a Christian, then we pray for uh, that God would provide for them and meet their needs. And then we also did, uh, after the village time, we did prayer walks uh, as part of the village time, the strategic village time. And then we did uh, we did kids club where it was kind of like a makeshift kind of BBS. And then we just hung out with kids and played with kids. It's very relational. So Daniel, wants to tell us a little bit about your experience? Okay, so I knew going to Haiti, I was going to experience a lot as far as being, when I came back, irritated with you know, people who complain about how you don't have much and um, or, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. I knew when I came back I was going to have these feelings. I knew I was going to see a lot of uh, very sad, uh, I guess you'd say poor, poor things, and we did, and I knew I was going to see that. Um, but when I was asking Ted yesterday what to talk about, I guess I was like, well, let me talk about something I took away, something I learned from this experience, um, and maybe I can challenge you guys to do all the same thing. But the one thing I took out of this experience is that, the Haitian people and the children especially, they don't have a lot. I mean, there's not a lot at all. And when we pulled up to one of the villages, there's like 10 kids playing in like this area that's maybe one-fourth the size of this stage. And there was like 10 of them kicking around like a tennis ball. And it wasn't even, a, it wasn't even recognizable. It was just beat up. But they were having so much fun. And they were smiling. And they were loving it. Uh, and another uh, time I saw these kids after... We ate, which we all felt guilty about doing. We all felt horrible about eating. We had to go into the church, and we had our lunch. It was something that we had to do, though, um, in order for us to keep our energy up, to keep doing what we were doing. This kid, I saw this. I watched this for like four or five minutes. He, he picked up one of our empty Pringles cans, and I saw him 
And he wasn't sad that he didn't get food. And I knew they were all hungry. They were all thirsty. He wasn't sad about it. He wasn't mad about it. He wasn't complaining. You know what he did? He picked it up and he started like trying to play it like it was a musical instrument. Then the other kids came around and they started like beating it on like a a wall in the bench. Like they were trying to make a musical instrument out of it. And I was like, that's what I took away from this experience. I took away that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happening, make the best of every situation. That's the one thing these people do. They make the best out of every situation. So tomorrow, maybe you're at work, whatever it is you're doing, you might be upset about something or a coworker. Oh, I got to stay 30 minutes late in the air conditioning to, do, <laughs> to, to keep working because I didn't finish my job and I'm training somebody new and they didn't get it, so I got to stick around. Appreciate the fact that you got air conditioning, that you're sitting in that nice leather work chair, that maybe you got a bottle of clean water and make the best out of every situation. That's the thing I learned from the Haitian people. Okay. So no matter what happens in life, make music. That's All right. So, Nicole, I'm going to have you come up, and then we're going to go Jan- uh, Daniel after that. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience. Um, it was my first mission trip. And throughout – okay, so my freshman year, I took a course basically about the world and how people live. And I learned a lot about poverty. And it was just an idea in my head. Like, I thought I knew about it. But actually going there – and seeing poverty poverty <laughs> firsthand, it's completely different. But one thing you didn't learn in the course was how the people are. And the people in Haiti are so generous. They're so loving. Like, the people in the U.S., they're fun and, you know, nice, but <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Coming back home, it was like a big shocker because people were so mean because I did a fundraiser yesterday, and people were really rude about giving. But in Haiti, they're so generous. They'll help you with anything. There was this one time I got sick. I got sick the last few days, and there was this one morning I felt like I needed to puke, so I did. And (laughs) then I saw this old lady in the corner of my eye. She saw me, and she actually ran to me and started telling me to pour water on on my face and everything. I was thinking, like, maybe she didn't have water or, like, even a bottle to put her water in, and she was telling me to put water on my face and was making sure that I was okay. And that was a really cool, like, it wasn't cool being sick, but it was cool seeing the love that they'll, random people will have for you in Haiti. So that's what I kind of took away from this experience was being more loving, more generous. And, yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. Awesome. Um, I, I, some of the other things we did is we planted coconut trees, and uh, that was cool. And we also got to visit an orphanage that we were uh, beginning a relationship with. You're going to hear more about that this year, about how you can be a part of this orphanage in Titan that we went to. Um, I'm going to have Jonathan share. I'm sure you're going to talk about the, the miracle, right? All right, so this is a pretty cool uh, experience here. This is a pretty cool story. So there was actually a clip up there that I didn't know existed. Um, it was showing a little naked boy eating dirt. He had dirt around his mouth. Well, in the background, there was also another naked little boy laying on a mat and he was very 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 sick he was wailing in pain the whole time we were there we showed up uh, for strategic village time to uh, pray over the family and uh, we asked about the sickness and they said he'd been that way for at least a week or so and it was obvious he was not going to make it very much longer Uh, when we got back to uh, you prayed for him. Yes, I did pray for him. I, I laid hands on him, and he didn't like that. He pushed him off of 
himself, but um, I did pray for him, you know, as a group, I led the prayer, and uh, we had to leave, go about our days, and even back at the church playing games with the kids, you could hear him in the distance wailing and screaming and crying hours later, so uh, I didn't find out till later, but somebody had posted it on Facebook that evening, so some people from the church had started praying that night as well. And the next day, we went back to the same village, and Ted and a team of people got to go the direction of the house while I went the other way, so I didn't get to hear about it till lunchtime. But as we were making our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I asked about the kid, and they said when they got to the house, he wasn't there because he was out in the village playing with all the other children. (laughs) And that the mom had said that the fever had broke by that evening, probably about the same time the church started praying, so... That's that cool. was pretty cool. Now, th- this this was pretty severe. We were that night, that night prior, trying to figure out how we were going to get some medical attention to him immediately. We were all concerned that he was going to be dying. And uh, it was a miracle. It was a healing that God provided. Awesome. Thank. Let's give praise to Jesus for that for sure. It's really hard to explain to you kind of the feelings and the experiences that we've had. And uh, how we felt coming back, uh, we're kind of dazed and confused a little bit. Uh, Jessica, what's your experience? I'm not sure if I can do this. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, God laid it on my heart to, t- to challenge you guys and tell you about the um, child sponsorship, which is $35 a month. I mean, I don't want you to actually raise your hands, but does anybody ever go out to eat once a month maybe? <laughs> Um, I know that we do, and um, 35 bucks is probably like cheddars or, um, I don't know, anything else, pizza. Um, and $35 for one month can provide education and food for a kid, and um, getting to know that kid and getting to send them gifts or to pray with them or to message them is just super powerful that we might sit as, like, two or party of four and spend $35 every other day at a meal out and not think twice about it. Um, And then thinking about how that would provide a daily meal for a kid who would otherwise be starving. Um, In the devotional that Mission of Hope gives us, it had some statistics about hunger. And um, it talked about if you eat breakfast at like 7 a.m., and then you start to complain about being hungry before your noon lunch, it said that in between those hours, thousands of people around the world die of hunger. So between your breakfast and your lunch in one day, thousands of people die from true hunger, not, oh, man, I'm starving, you know. And it just makes us really evaluate the words we choose when we talk about how we feel. Um, And we can't get angry or frustrated or guilty. We can't feel any of those things. We just have to glorify God and and try to share what we've seen. And it's impossible for us to show you um, what we felt, really. But I just want to challenge you to try to feel what we were able to feel, what we're so grateful to feel. Um, And that's just the comparison of our situation to theirs. And I don't think that we're supposed to feel angry or guilty. I just think we're supposed to do something about it. Um, And like the verses Ted was sharing about... um, We've all been given so much, and that means that we're responsible. That means that we're, we are, um, 
we're placed here to do that. And so if you've got $35 to spend on after church lunch, you've got $35 to feed a kid for a month. And so um, it's not just that, it's education too. And um, I didn't realize how, I mean, I'm a teacher here in the U.S. and I've got kids constantly complaining that they ever have to see me at all or that they have to come to school or that they have to eat the disgusting lunch at school that they complain about. Um, But then I see these kids and I realize that without school, they really can't rise above what they were born, the situation they were born in. Um, So the education piece of that is huge as well. So um, if you just consider that, I know that you haven't met the precious kids and seen their faces, but just... um, be inspired by our videos and our testimonies that that money would be really um, life-changing for people. So, um, Just before Sarah talks, uh, you can hand it to her. Did we bring the, the sponsorship cards? Okay, does, does Laura have those? Hey, uh, Laura, do you have them? Are you here? Okay. All right, so um, we're going to make sure that those are available. Uh, I'd like to kind of have them at the door as people walk out to hand out. Um, in Haiti, by the way, the average kid eats maybe once or twice every couple of days. If he eats once a day, that's a, that's a miracle. That's a blessing. And as far as education, 70% of Haitian students do not graduate. Uh, even among our translators who are like 19 and 20, they still had three or four years of, of school left to go because school is not something uh, that is free there. You have to pay for it, and there's no way to make It's 70% unemployment in Haiti, so there's no way to make money. There's no way to go to school. There's no way to build a life, but we can be a part of helping them to, because of what we've been given, our generosity back can help them to kickstart a new life for them. Um, Sarah, what was your experience? Okay. Um, <laughs> I... I'm just going to kind of go off what Jonathan was talking about because I was there when he prayed for the kid, and that that was the hardest experience for me there because the kid was about Allie's age. And, um, you know, when she gets sick, we take her to the doctor, and she's fine. Um, You know, we saw kids that that couldn't eat, that couldn't, you know, so I, and, and before we left, I was complaining, like, Ryan and I bought our first house, and it's pretty small, and, um, their house is about the size of our kitchen and they're, you know, content, they're happy. So when I came back, I was just, I felt very disconnected, um, just angry and I, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, so I kind of shared my experience with people and, um, the thing that I kind of took away, um, I felt like, I mean, just a week was not long enough. You got to know the kids, and then you wanted to help so bad. Um, and there's just only so much you can do in a week. So, I mean, after after talking to, to people about my experience, um, the thing that I just took away was that that week really got me educated and grateful about the things that, that I do have and kind of inspires you to, like, to move and to do something and um, – you know what? They're hungry. They're they're starving. They they don't have a lot. But um, you know when we when I was ex- sharing my testimony, they're very receptive. And um, most people we met already believed and had a relationship with God, and that was really inspiring to me. Um, so the biggest thing that I think I I learned about myself and took away from the trip is that um, kind of the attitude in Haiti is um. Like, I can't, 
and so the the school curriculum and the things that um, Mission of Hope is doing there is it's win kebab, and so I got a bracelet that says that because it it says I can. And um, for me, I I'm shy, I'm nervous, and so I see when I need to to share the gospel to to talk to people, and I don't because that holds me back. And when we were in Haiti, I was sharing it left and right, and people were receptive and just. Um, that was just an amazing experience for me. So I know that that after this trip, the biggest thing that's changed in me is that um, I just want to tell people. I'm not shy. I'm, I mean, I've been back two days, three days, and I've already shared it, and I'm just so, I mean, that trip really changed me a lot in that way. And um, anyways, I'm going to start crying. So here you go. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. uh I'm talking to some of our group. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm going to have uh, Chris come on up and the band come on up, and, and you guys can can go ahead back to your seat. Love you guys. You did awesome. Let's give it up for our mission team. Um, I, I Speaking for our team, uh, coming back into American culture is so difficult. Um, and it's going to be difficult. It's something that should, missions should wreck you, should break you, should horrify you, should get your eyes on a new kind of life and living. And that's why I want as many of you as possible to experience missions. And if you cannot go, to send missionaries. Um, every one of us are rich. I'm, I'm challenging you today to be grateful to be content, to be generous, and to live with eternity in mind. Uh, we came back, and we were just, we're overwhelmed. I mean, I, I'm eating at Taco Bell uh, Friday, and I'm, I bowed and prayed for my food. I'm just, I start crying at Taco Bell because I've just, I've got food. And I'm just thinking of these, these kids, these families, these relationships about how selfish and how, uh, you know, ungenerous as, as a nation we are. And the church is guilty of it. Guys, be grateful. Be content. Be generous. Live with eternity in mind. Uh, you're going to get a chance to, to at least to sponsor one of the kids on the way out. That's one of the ways you can do that. Um, be, be someone who doesn't let materialism manage you. You manage your possessions and use it for His glory and watch what God can do through you. And uh, when we have mission opportunities, join us because there are local missions that need to be done. There are people here that are hungry. There are people here that need clothing. There are people here that need shelter and help and counseling. And uh, we are a church that is missional, that is about that. So uh, find ways. Talk to our outreach directors and be aware and be listening on how we can be a part. Now, there are other stories. Every one of our team member has a story. So grab one of them and sit down at lunch or coffee and pick their brain and let them pour out to you their experience uh, with their love for Haiti. And uh, next year, join us. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you that, uh, Lord, you have uh, blessed us and to whom much is given, much is required. And, Lord, there's not a person in this room that is not wealthy. God, we may not be wealthy according to what we think is wealthy, but God, we are wealthy in comparison to the world, and we have more than enough, God, to be able to be grateful, content, and generous. God, help us to live lives with eternity in mind. God, this life is a, is a tissue-thin thread. 
God, help us to live with meaning and purpose, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.